Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to worship here at Cokesbury United Methodist Church in beautiful Woodbridge, Virginia. It is a joy and a privilege to be worshiping with you in these strange times and in these strange ways, whether you're joining us on Facebook or on YouTube. I am grateful for your online presence as we seek to hear and respond to what God says to us today. I just want to share a few things about the comings and goings uh, in the life of our church. We continue to offer things like Wednesday online Bible studies, devotional emails that are being sent out throughout the week, and then, of course, these are worship services. Virginia is starting to uh, move into phase three of reopening. Uh, how that affects the church is a little more complicated, particularly north, northern Virginia, where this church finds itself, uh, such that we are still uh, keeping our doors closed for in-person gatherings, and we're going to continue to offer worship this way online. We are in the midst of putting together a team of volunteers from our church to discern what it would look like for us to reopen, uh, not in the immediate future, but at some point uh, you know, hopefully one day, and what that looks like to keep things as safe and healthy and as faithful as possible. If that's something you're at all interested in and you're part of our local community, please feel to reach out and I can put you together with our group so that we can start to figure out what it will look like for us to come back. Uh, no matter what it looks like and no matter when it happens, we will continue to offer worship online uh, from now on, uh, knowing that there will be some for whom coming is not an option, uh, whether because of COVID-19 or just uh, general life circumstances. So uh, that's something that if you'd like to know more about, please contact me or the church and we will put you in touch with the people that would be most helpful. Uh, before we continue on with our worship service, I just want to say that I received what is quite possibly the weirdest, best, and worst compliment as a pastor I've ever received this last week. I don't know how long we've been doing online worship now. It seems like we've kind of been doing this forever. Uh, but I got an email from someone who's been watching our services, not someone from our church, uh, but somebody who has participated in the life of the church and uh, has been around for a little while, and they've been watching every week. And this person wrote to me and said, you know, for as much as you knock televangelists, I tend to have uh, it out for people like Joel Osteen. Uh, they said, for as much as you uh, make fun of televangelists, you make a pretty good one online these days. And I thought that is the perfect way to make me feel awesome and terrible all in the same moment. <laughs> Uh, but it, it, it has been strange, of course, but it has also been uh, a joy to be able to continue to lead worship even in this weird way during these strange times because 
God still has something to say. The church still has something to say, uh, no matter what is going on in the world around us. So I'm grateful that today uh, you've made the choice to be with us, to listen with us to God together, uh, and then to respond to it as a thing we call the church. So with that, I encourage you to uh, make yourself comfortable wherever you are as you're watching or listening to this, and close your eyes maybe, unless you're driving and listening to this in podcast form later, maybe not a good idea, but whatever you can to be comfortable, and just breathe slowly and let yourself be prepared to feel the Spirit move in your midst as we worship together. Lord, God, you know who we are, people with good and bad consciences, satisfied and dissatisfied, sure and unsure, Christians out of conviction, out of habit, believers, half-believers, unbelievers, but now we are all before you in all our inequality, equal in this, that we are all in the wrong before you and each other, that we all must die someday, and that we would all be lost without your grace, but also and that your grace is promised to and turned toward all of us through your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people say, Amen. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful, wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, we confess that we find your unrelenting presence a bit tiresome. It's quite hard to live seemingly caught between what it seems you want us to be and what we know we are. Help us to realize, Lord, that such thoughts of our unworthiness are, in the end, unworthy. For you have done that which we could not and would not do for ourselves. It is precisely our unworthiness that shows how good you are to us. Therefore, Lord, make us glad to be your people, gathered to hear your word, celebrating the victory that is already ours. And now, Lord, each of us will pray silently or aloud to you wherever we are, lifting up our own joys and our own concerns to you this day. And as you taught us, Lord, so now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture passage today comes from the Gospel according to St. Matthew in the 13th chapter, verses 24 through 30. I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. There is an online bulletin available to you. You can find it through the links in the description of this video. If you would like to be able to see the scripture, follow along with it, uh, our hymns or anything else like that during the service, it is there for you. 
But hear now the reading of God's word. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seeds in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No. For in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, The hymn that we have for today is number 370 in the United Methodist Hymnal, Victory in Jesus. If you know the words, feel free to sing along. Otherwise, you can find the words in the online bulletin. Uh, So join me. I'm going to head over to the drums, and we're going to, I'm going to play, and we are all going to sing Victory in Jesus. Thank you. 
The kingdom of heaven may be compared with someone who sowed good seed into the field, but while everyone was asleep, an enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and then went away. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What is the Bible really about? It's a pretty good question, and plenty of people have tried their best to summarize the Bible in such a way that it could nicely fit onto a bumper sticker or into one tweet on Twitter. God is love, for example, or God provides as another, or God is whoever raised Jesus from the dead, having first raised Israel out of captivity in Egypt, that sort of stuff. And all those bumper sticker Bibles are good, they're fine, and frankly, they're all true. But compartmentalizing the Bible into such a small fragment is always and forever a fool's errand. It is a fool's errand because whenever we lift it up, the Bible that is, we are beckoned into and transported into the strange new world of Scripture. We are with Abraham in Haran. We hear a call that commands him to go, go, and be a stranger in a strange land. We are with Moses in the wilderness. Forty years he's been living among the sheep, doing penance for his crime in Egypt, when suddenly there comes a call from a burning bush, Moses, Moses, have I got a job for you? And we are there with the crowds, lifted up on tiptoe, struggling as we may to look over the shoulders of our compatriots, trying to hear what we can from this Messiah man, the one who has come to save the world. What does he say? Hey, um, the kingdom... You know, it's, uh, it's like a farmer, a farmer who sowed only good seeds in his field, and one night the, fa- uh, the farmer's enemy comes and scatters weeds among all the wheat. So much so that when the plants came up and they bore grain, the weeds were all over the place. The servants of the farmer come to him and say, where in the H-E double hockey sticks did all these weeds come from? The farmer says, they're from my enemy. So the servants, dedicated as they are, they ask if they should go out into the fields, if they should start tearing up all the weeds among the wheat. A no doubt very practical response to the agricultural dilemma at hand, but the farmer says no. No, let them be. For in gathering up all the weeds, you'll destroy my wheat. Let both of them grow until the harvest, and then we'll figure it out. So, standing there among the crowds, hearing this story, we think to ourselves, well, dang, oh, dang, this Messiah guy, he's, he's pretty good. He speaks so clearly and elegantly about what the kingdom must be about. Let's follow him. But before we can leave it all behind, there's somebody else in the crowd who leans to us and says, hey, I think twice before following this so-called Messiah. I mean, did you really listen to what he just said? Let the weeds grow with the wheat? That's the worst farming advice I've ever heard in my life. What kind of king can this Jesus be if he doesn't even know how to manage a garden? And we realize this stranger, he has a point. The practice of not pulling out the weeds until the harvest, it's no way to run a farm. Such a lackadaisical approach to the agricultural conundrum only guarantees It will choke out all the good plants in addition to creating a bumper crop of unwanted weed seeds that is going to plague the field for generations. Are we sure we want to worship Jesus? I mean, maybe Jesus just wasn't as good of a farmer as he was a carpenter. After all, his advice about not building a house on sand, that's that's pretty good advice. 
But his ideas about running a farm, they leave a lot to be desired. In any case, this is one of his stories, a story he told the disciples about what the kingdom of heaven is like. The good seeds that are sown all over the property, the ones that will one day grow and bear fruit, bear grain, they are the lives of those who are flowering out of what has been sown by the Son of Man. Think of someone that you know, perhaps in your life, who embodies everything about what you think it means to be a good person, a good Christian, someone who goes out of their way to check on the last, the least, the the little, and even the dead, someone who always logs in for online worship every week, someone who gives 10%, perhaps even more, back to God through church. All that stuff, they are the good seeds scattered everywhere. And up until this point, all is well. But like all good stories, well can turn to hell rather quickly. The farmer's enemy shows up in the middle of the night while everyone is asleep and sows weeds among the wheat. Notice two things. First, everyone is in bed. They've already done their job as far as the crop is concerned. They worked during the day, and now it's time for them to rest and let the seed do what the seed's supposed to do. The work of the good seed is not threatened, but it is inconvenienced by the arrival of the enemy's weeds. And the second thing is this. I mean, have you ever really thought about if the enemy really wanted to mess up things for the farmer, why not do something a little more effective, something a little more dramatic? I mean, the enemy could have lit the field on fire or flooded it with water or dug up all the good seeds and planted them in his own enemy-like garden somewhere else. But that's not what the enemy does. The enemy merely tosses in seeds of weeds to make the jobs of the farmer and his workers, his servants, a little harder. Sadly, whenever we read this story or we hear about it in church, we do so in such a way that it results in people like us making claims about how certain people need to be gotten rid of, destroyed, obliterated, removed, whatever. Get rid of those people in order to shore up the goodness of the kingdom. Which is to say, we believe we have to use every tool at our disposal to stop the devil from showing up and dropping weeds and all the perfect things we've got going on in our lives. But that's not what Jesus does with his parable. As I've noted already, the weeds, you know, they're not going to interfere with the wheat, at least in their growth. The weeds are not a danger to the good seeds development, but rather an inconvenience to the farmer and his servants. And that, that's what the parable is about. The servants, you know, those working with the farmer, the ones entrusted with the work in the field, frankly, the ones who dress up with things like this on Sunday mornings, we are the ones who have the bright idea to take some immediate action against the undesirables in the field. Come on, Jesus. I know you keep talking about this grand scope of the kingdom, but have you really thought about what might happen if you let all of the riffraff in? Why won't you just let us go out into the field of the world, get rid of some of those reeds, those weeds that keep ruining things for the rest of us? The farmer seems to have a radically different strategy. Let it be. That's irresponsible, we think to ourselves, or we have the gall to mention aloud. Let it be? That's some hippie Beatles-driven response to the world. Surely, Jesus, Jesus, you'd give us something better to do than let it be. And yet it is throughout history, precisely when we've taken those kinds of actions into our own hands, that the very worst of humanity has come to the surface. 
Well, let me put it another way. The seeds sown here in the parable, Cezania in Greek, it's an annual grass. It's a weed that looks an awful lot like wheat when it grows, which is to say it's very difficult to tell the weeds and the wheat apart, let alone take one out without taking out the other. The end of the parable, the farmer's insistence that the servants cannot take out the weeds without damaging the wheat, it is a profound and a challenging word for those of us convinced we are responsible for fixing all of the world's problems, that we can truly make the world a better place. You know, it's the desire for making the world a better place that almost always makes the world worse. For all of our programs, and at times pogroms, designed to get rid of evil, they are doomed to do exactly what the farmers suggest will happen. Because the servants, whoever they might be, they're either too busy or too confused or self-righteous to recognize any real difference between good and evil. And all they will ever accomplish is tearing out the wheat with the weeds. What we good and well-meaning folk often forget, as good and as well-meaning as we think we are, is that there is no one in the world ever who is categorically good just as there is no one in the entirety of the world who is categorically evil. In a very real sense, we are all pretty messed up. St. Paul says it this way, For I know nothing good dwells within me. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, I remember... Uh, helping a church in college that was trying to reinvent itself, reimagine itself, and we were creating this list of core beliefs, expectations for those who wanted to join us. And at first it was simple stuff like, we believe in the triune God and we confess Jesus as Lord. But then it quickly turned to things like, no hatred is ever allowed. Liars will be asked to leave and members must be present at least 75% of the Sundays in the year, which by the end of our list meant that no one was worthy of our church. To connect it back to the parable, the only result of a truly dedicated campaign to rid the world of evil will be the abolition of literally literally everybody. Now, does that mean that we should just kick back and let the world fall to pieces? And the parable, it doesn't imply that resistance to evil is wrong, only that it's not very effective in terms of salvation. We can introduce all kinds of programs to solve the so-called problems of the world. We can advocate for all kinds of things. You know, if it's your cup of tea, just war, capital punishment, bigger and fuller jails of dirty, rotten scoundrels, sure. But as Christians, as Christians, we can't assume that any of those things will ever make the world a better place. To use Jesus' words, we can take up the sword all we want, but we cannot forget that those who live by the sword... They die by the sword. Just as with the parable of the sower, the kingdom comes along automatically, despite the presence of weeds among the wheat. The weeds, they might not be real wheat, but if the servants go to the trouble of removing the less desirables, a truly horrific scene can unfold. You know, it was a new nation of so-called good people that brutally tortured, enslaved, and murdered entire generations of people all in the name of manifest destiny. It was a democratically elected leader of the most advanced nation in the world at the time who ultimately brought about the execution of six million Jews. I could go on and on and on. And yet behind the servant's question is a question we all wrestle with. What are we supposed to do? 
looking out at the tragedies of the world, we can't help but wonder what could we ever possibly do to change anything in a really meaningful way. We can't help ourselves from wondering, in spite of all the evidence of the past, that wouldn't the world be better if we just got rid of the weeds? No, Jesus says through the farmer in the parable. Pull up evil, and you'll pull up goodness right along with it. And then comes the most beautiful and confounding and remarkable and bewildering word in the entirety of this parable of the weeds and the wheat. Afete them to grow together. In our English translations, it says, let both of them grow. But in Greek, the word is afete. It's the same word for forgiveness. It's in the Lord's Prayer we say every week. Afes in our trespasses as we afemen, those who trespass against us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so it's here. It's in the light of the farmer's strange and divine forgiveness that the parable truly hits home. The malice, the evil, the badness that is manifest in the real world, in the real lives of real people, it is not to be dealt with by abolishing the things or the persons in whom it dwells. It can only be dealt with with forgiveness. A recognition that even the best of us aren't as good as we think we are. Forgiveness, Jesus says, is the only way. But what if people keep screwing things up? You know, what if the enemy comes back next year and sows even more weeds among the wheat? Well, at least according to the farmer in Jesus' parable, the enemy is free to come back and drop his weeds. And on the basis of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, God has announced the very same thing. No enemy, not the devil, not you, not me, not anybody else, is outside the realm of God's forgiveness in Christ Jesus. If that sounds unbelievably radical, it's because it is. But remember, Jesus on the cross, in the moments immediately prior to his death, having been abandoned and beaten and betrayed, he doesn't threaten his enemies. He forgives them. Father, forgive them for they have no idea what they're doing. Afes, one more time, let it be. I mean, that might not sit well with those of us suffering under the weight of the world or those of us troubled by what we see on TV every night. But according to the mystery that is God's kingdom, it is already here. It is sown in the earth. It is sprouting and bearing fruit. And all the weeds of this world can't do a thing about it. Many of us, we are hooked, downright addicted to assuming that it's all up to us. You know, give us just a, a small little taste of the power that comes with making decisions about what is good and right and true and perfect, and we'll never be able to kick the habit. We delight in believing that we are the ones who get to settle scores here and now, and yet in the end, none of us could possibly make it in Jesus' kingdom unless forgiveness reigns supreme. Forgiveness. Let it be. Let them be. It's no way to run a farm, but it's the only way to run a kingdom. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Would you all please pray with me? Lord, you have built your church upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone 
Grant us so to be joined together in the unity of spirit by their teaching, that we may be made a holy temple acceptable to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. God gathers us together. God proclaims God's word, and we respond to what God has said. We, every week, respond to what God has said uh, in the way that we live our lives, with our prayers, our time, our presence, but we also respond with our gifts, the way that we give back to the Lord through the church. I encourage you to give with glad and generous hearts to Cokesbury United Methodist Church to uh, help provide for the ministries that happen through this church. You can give online through a link that's in the video description. You can give uh, through the mail, a check through the mail, or you can bring a donation here to the church. We have a, a drop slot by our main office doors. But give, give such that the kingdom will dwell here in this place, continue to dwell here now and forever through gifts from people like you. We also respond with affirming our faith. So I encourage you to join me uh, in affirming our faith together using the Apostles' Creed. You can find the words for it in the online bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and of earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Each week I've been thinking about different ways that we can also respond to what God has said in the time between Sundays. And this week I'm encouraging us to make a list of our knee-jerk reactions. Uh, and if not a list, at least a, a numerical value for knee-jerk reactions. A knee-jerk reaction is something we have to something we disagree with. Uh, sometimes they're the things that we disagree with and we don't even know we disagree with them until we have a knee-jerk reaction. It's almost involuntary, though there's some uh, of our own will involved. The, the, the scripture today, the, the parable of the weeds and the wheat, so much of it is about how we, those of us who think of ourselves as good people, like to imagine that we are the wheat and our knee-jerk reactions are against the weeds in our life. It's those moments where if you're driving around and you uh, go to lock your car door because you see someone on the street, that's a knee-jerk reaction. That's making an assumption about another person without actually knowing who that person is. Another knee-jerk reaction is if you're watching television and you see something happen on television uh, between two people or just one person, something that someone says, and you feel yourself have a physical reaction to what it is. Maybe it's a, a political statement that you viscerally disagree with or any other number of things. This week, I encourage you to get a notebook, a piece of paper, whatever is helpful. Maybe you can do it on your phone and, and make a knee-jerk reaction list. If you're able to, be mindful of those knee-jerk reactions you have. You can write them down. And if not what they are, if you feel yourself have a knee-jerk reaction, just make a tally. And then by the end of the week, look back about how many of those reactions you had in the week. And think about how when God says, through Christ in this parable, let them be together, the weeds and the wheat, forgive them. Imagine what it would look like for in your life to forgive those people that you had those knee-jerk reactions of for the thing that they did. Because I said, as I said in the sermon, forgiveness, it really is the name of the game. It's kind of the only way it works.
So I encourage you, as much as you're able, to make a knee-jerk reaction list this week to consider who you think is a weed and what it might look like for you to office, to forgive them, to let them be together. With that, I now offer you this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, continue to always be that great farmer who, looking out at the brokenness and the batteredness and the awfulness of our world, can still say, forgive, for it is the Lord who has forgiven us, who has forgiven you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to seeing all of you, same time, same place, next week. Be well and go in peace.